Well, as Megan said, we are continuing on with our faith book series, and uh, this is our fourth instalment into looking at the face behind the book. Who is God? What sort of character traits does he have? Who is God? And so we've looked at a few different names that have been given to God. And today I want to unpack another name that was given to God. And that name is Jehovah Jireh, Yahweh Yerah. In Hebrew, Jehovah Jireh, God my provider. And so we want to unpack that together today. Incidentally, our daughter uh, was named... Jira. We thought we'd girlify it a little bit and go with Jira, but uh, the origin of that it was we wanted to speak that into her life and over her world. God, her provider. And God is your provider and my provider today. And actually, this name was given to God by Abraham himself. And so I want to unpack all of that and the origin of that and what that means for us today. And so let me start at the start. Abraham was an old man, a very old man. He was actually the father of the Jewish nation and um, he pretty much geared up the first 99 years of his life expecting a child. Abraham was married to his wife Sarah who was barren and um, we can pick up this story in Genesis 22. He was married to Sarah and the both of them were desperate for a child. At the age of 99, God gave Abraham a child. And of course, he loved him dearly because you can you imagine 99 years and the most part of his adult life absolutely hanging out for offspring and he finally gets this boy. And then we pick up in Genesis 22, the story where God turns up and he asks Abraham to do the most ridiculous thing you've ever heard of. And he says to him, Abraham, I want you to take this boy that you love very, very much. And I want you to sacrifice him on an altar. I want you to actually kill him on an altar as a sacrifice. Now, in case that wasn't ridiculous enough, Abraham's response was even more ridiculous. The scripture tells us that Abraham got up early the next morning and off he goes to do this little exercise. It took them three days to get there, but he lugged along a donkey and two servants. And here they are walking up to the mountain, the hill that God had told him to go to because God had given him some specific instructions. And so his son Isaac is carrying the wood and they're walking and his son says to him, hey dad, like I know we've got the wood and everything, but like Where's the animal that we're going to sacrifice? And Abraham says to him, it's all right, son. It's all right. God will provide. And so they get to the place and they can see it in the distance. It was called um, the land of Moriah. And so they get, they can see it in the distance. And so Abraham says to his servants, hey, you stay here. We're going to go off and we're going to worship, he calls it. Really? No, you're not. You're going to kill your son. But he says, we're going to worship. And then we're both going to come back. And so they walk up to where God had given him instructions and they get to this place, the altar, and he prepares it and he puts Isaac onto it. And here's Abraham. Like, what was he even thinking? And he raises up the knife and just as he's about to dig it into his son that he had waited for for 99 years. He hears this voice and it's an angel 
And the angel says to him, Abraham, Abraham, don't touch your boy. And so he sort of looks up and as he looks up, he notices a ram who just had its horn stuck in the thicket in the bushes. And in that moment, as he was just about to kill his only son that he had waited for for 99 years, can you imagine the relief that Abraham experienced? Can you imagine that moment? You see, that moment was way bigger and way grander and way more significant than just saving his son's life. Because you see, Abraham had received a promise from God. Earlier on in Genesis 15, God had taken Abraham out one day and he said to him, hey Abraham, look up into the stars, look up into the sky. Can you even possibly count all of those stars? And Abraham was probably like, well, of course not. There's way too many. And God said to him, your descendants will be as numerous as those stars in the sky. And so you see, Abraham had a promise from God. And so this moment for him when he saw the ram was not just the relief and the sheer, like just the the gobsmackness of this moment was not just in the fact that his son was going to be saved from death. That was huge and enormous. But even more profound was the fact that, oh my goodness, the promise was still alive because his descendants couldn't have eventuated if his son died in that moment. This was a huge moment for Abraham. And in that moment, he recognised that that ram was the substitute for his son. And so off comes Isaac off the altar and on comes the ram. And instead the lamb is killed and Isaac is spared. And in that moment, the scripture tells us that Abraham says, this is mind-blowing. Well, he doesn't say that, they're my words. But he just stands back and he says, what on earth? I will rename this place Jehovah Jireh, God my provider, the God who provided a ram to take the place of my son. And in that moment, my destiny and my descendants and the promises can actually eventuate. And so church, this morning, with that story, we can see how God was Abraham's provider. But you see, God is not just Abraham's provider. God is my provider and your provider as well. He's not just the provider of our everyday things. He's not just the provider of what we need every day in and out. But he's the provider of way more than that. He's the provider of supernatural things that couldn't otherwise happen for us without his supernatural hand. Commentators tell us that that ram that got its horns stuck in the thicket that God potentially put a supernatural hunger in that ram at that moment so that he would waltz his way up to the hill, at which point he got stuck. Abraham noticed him and you know the rest. God, our provider, 
God your provider? Is a God who provides supernaturally? A God that can put a hunger in a ram? A God that can do anything supernaturally that is not humanly possible? That is the character of God. That is Jehovah Jireh. You see, God provides for way more than our everyday needs. Yes, he does. But he provides way more than our everyday needs. God actually gives us pardon from our past. He can wipe away the mess of our past. God gives us power for our present. He gives us what it takes to do what we need to do today. And he also gives us purpose for our future He also supplies supernaturally so that the call over our life can eventuate and can be a thing. And the promises that are spoken over us by God can actually be a thing. He's a good God. He's a providing God. But I know that quite validly many of you are sitting here today thinking, well, you know what, Susie? I totally get that. I totally get that he is... God, my provider, Jehovah Jireh, God, my provider. And I also get the fact that sometimes he comes through at the last minute. Just as Abraham lifted up that knife and the angel intercepted. I get that. I get that. And I'm so glad I waited. Others of you are like, well, yeah, it's a good story, but I don't really need God to provide for me because I'm self-sufficient. I work hard. What a cop out to sort of sit back and expect God to fight for you. But then there's others of you here this morning who probably think, well, that's all well and good, Susie, and of course it's your job to get up and say that. But in my life, yeah, sure, I've watched God provide for other people, but I couldn't put my hand on my heart and actually tell you that he provides for me. And so I want to actually take you on a little bit of a journey into Abraham's world and backtrack a little bit to have a look at, well, if God did actually supply and provide for Abraham, what did Abraham do to actually position himself for such provision? And so will you come with me to have a look at verse 3, a couple of slides back, and it says this, As soon as God told Abraham to go out and sacrifice his son, we read, early the next morning, early the next morning, he didn't wait, he didn't negotiate, he heard this crazy instruction and early the next morning, Abraham got up and loaded his donkey. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. We're told that the journey to the Mount of Moriah or to the place of Moriah was a three-day journey. I don't know about you, but if I had three days to think about a request like that that God had made of me, I would probably have come up with every reason why I should turn back and go back home. I would probably have encountered every form of doubt and reluctance my head would have probably gone, are you crazy? Who does this? But he had three days of journey, but he pressed on. And then he said to his servants when they got there, he said, stay here with the donkey while I and the boy 
go over there, we'll worship. And then what does he say? He says, and then we (laughs) will come back. What the heck are you on about, Abraham? You're going up there to sacrifice your son, but you're telling us that we, both you and him, will come back. Huh? It's a bit odd. What are you thinking? Are you not going to go through with it? Like, what are you thinking? You see, Abraham believed in the promises of God. Abraham trusted God. This was the man who waited 99 years to actually have this baby. He knew who God was. He knew many other names of God that he could hold onto and trust and believe in and put his life on. He knew that the God who said that you will have a son actually gave him a son. And so this man with a pretty decent track record in the faithfulness of God knew that even if he did kill his son, that God had the capacity to raise up those ashes and bring them back to life. But you see, you and I can't obey God without a track record with God. Because in order to obey God, in order to obey anyone, you and I need love and trust. You and I need to have established this deep trust with the person asking us this thing. And Abraham had that. Abraham had that trust with God. He had that precedent with God. He had that track record with God. And as a result or in proportion to the track record was the instruction. Chances are you and I can't say, yeah, God's asked me to sacrifice my kid too. In proportion to the trust came the instruction. But Abraham was ready for it because he knew the faithfulness in a big way. You know, some years back in um, the first church that Peter and I led, it was, our, it was a church plant. We started it from the ground up. We started it from four people and it turned into a very healthy congregation. And after a number of years in that space leading this church, God asked us to step down from that role. He started to speak to Peter first about it and then he began to speak to me because I was like, God, are you ridiculous? Like I'm living the dream right now, are you nuts? And I was so mad with God and I had this crazy dream one day and I'll tell it to you quickly. I, was, um, I dreamt that I was at the pools um, with two of my kids. But in the dream, I knew that I, we had four kids, not three. But I was at the pools with two of them. And I looked over and I saw two of my children sinking in the water. And I had to make a, a choice in my dream, which child to actually save. And in my dream... I sensed the need to save one of my actual kids that I knew and let this fourth child, which in my dream was our fourth child, but I I happened to know that in my dream and let this baby sink to the ground. And so I, I woke up in like an absolute sweat because it was one of those dreams that was really significant and it frightened me to bits. And so I woke up in a sweat and I was like, oh my gosh, what does this even mean? I I actually contemplated all the possibilities. I wondered whether um, I was going to fall pregnant and maybe lose that baby. I, I didn't know what it was, but it was so dramatic for me. And over the course of a couple of days, God reminded me that we often refer to this church as our fourth baby. And he was asking me to let it go. 
And so we all have our stories where we know that God is asking us to do something ridiculous, asking us to do something that's against our grain. Let's not pretend that obedience is always easy. Let's not pretend that we just go there, you know, swinging our arms and skipping along going, yay. Let's admit that hindsight is awesome because I can stand here today and say, had it not been for obeying God back then, some of the things in my life that unfolded in my ministry, in our life, we wouldn't be here today. Were as a result of obeying God in that crazy request back then. And so here we have Abraham. He obeyed promptly because he trusted fully. But there was one more thing. Abraham didn't just obey. He obeyed precisely. He obeyed precisely. Next few scriptures show us just how precisely Abraham obeyed. You'll see on the screen in just a moment. Verse 2 says this, Then God said to Abraham, Take up your son, your only son whom you love, Isaac, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him there as a burnt offering on a mountain that I will show you. Actually, incidentally, Moriah is the new Jerusalem, is Jerusalem today. But we also are told that there were seven different hills or mountains in Moriah. Seven. You see, Abraham could have obeyed and could have gone to any of the seven, right? He could have gone to any of them. He could have even just turned up at, you know, oh, I'm so exhausted after this three-day hike. I'm just going to do this one because I don't even have it in me to go another, you know, 100 metres to that one. But the scripture says, that God told him, go to the mountain that I will show you. He was not just obedient. He was precise. He was obedient down to fine details and precision. Because church, what God has been saying to me as I've been unpacking this is that close enough is not always good enough. Because you see, had he not gone to the right hill, he might not. <laughs> He would not have encountered the ram because the ram was over there at that hill. And so you see, our obedience is in the place of deep precision. Our obedience needs to be in the place of deep precision and that is where God provides. When Abraham precisely obeyed, down to the actual mountain, down to the actual details, it was there that he experienced provision. You see, the whole story of Abraham and Isaac was a foreshadowing of the story of Jesus, where God actually gave his son Jesus as a substitute for us. He provided Jesus as the sacrifice for you and I. Except the only difference in the story is that God actually went through with it and Jesus actually did die for you and me. He's not just the provider of your everyday needs, church. He's not just the provider of supernatural things, but he's the provider of your destiny. He's the provider of your salvation. 
He's the provider of the substitute for the life that you and I should have actually given up. That is the God we're talking about. That is the God that Abraham understood very well. That is the God that God called Jehovah Jireh, God my provider, and he knew it down to the core. He knew it down to the core. And so, moving on to the next screen. God's abundant provision is in the place of our obedience. God's abundant provision is in the place of our obedience. And I wonder for you today, what's God asking you to do? What's God asking of you? Because remember, our degree of obedience is proportionate to our degree of trust. Our degree of obedience is proportionate to our degree of trust. What's God asking of you today? And how precisely is he asking you to unfold that? I remember the story. We went on a holiday some years ago and our daughter, Jira, was probably about three. And so we're at this hotel and we're in the pool (laughs) again. We're in the pool. And um, I was teaching her how to jump in fearlessly and assuring her that I'd catch her every time. So she's on the, on, on the, um, on the ledge and she'd, I'd pop her up and I'd go, jump, jump in my arms, jump in my arms. And she'd go, you know, like kids go when they're so nervous, are you really going to catch me? Are you really going to catch me? Is this safe? Can I trust you? And so she'd jump and I'd catch her. And obviously over time, she got more confident at this because there's a little bit of a track record. Like she jumps and I catch, right? So I was like, hey, well done. Mummy's exhausted now. Let's go and relax in the spa. And so I popped her back on the ledge. I got out and we walked all the way to the spa, which was at the other end of the pool, which was probably the length of from here to the, the, um, the exit doors, actually. And um, we're sitting in the spa and she sat beside me and the other people in the spa with us are like, oh, she's really cute. How old is she? Da, 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 da. And so I said, oh, she's three. And yeah, I've been teaching her how to jump. She's gotten really good at it. Anyway, it must have gotten to her a little bit. And so she then decides that she just wants to get something from our bag, which is all the way over there near where we were jumping. So I said, okay, well, off you go and I'll watch you. But at this point, everyone in the spa was also our friend. And so everyone was watching her. And she heads over and I could see her at the ledge. She gets whatever she's getting out of her bag. And then she turns around. And then instead of coming back to me, she jumps back into the water. And I'm like 100 metres away. And so me and everyone in the spa (laughs) got up and you know like when it feels like life's in slow motion and we're like this and it feels like forever away that like she, and I'm thinking this is like one of the stories you read in the newspaper where some kid drowns at some hotel pool. (laughs) Of course she came out. But you know what? I think back at that story and it was the precision that made it work. It was the fact that she needed to jump into my arms. She needed to jump into my safe arms when I was there, when I said go, when I was watching right at me. And so while she did the instruction, generically speaking, and jumped in, the precision wasn't there. And so church this morning, as we stand to sing this final song, why don't you actually just...
check in with God for a moment, just between you and him. And let him whisper into your soul, what is it that he's asking of you today? What is it? And what's the precision around that? Because he is the God who provides. He is your provider. But his provision comes with your obedience. Amen. Why don't you stand with me as we embrace our God, our provider. Amen.